You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Chris Cordson, welcome to Real Faith Stories. I think this is going to be an exciting call. Yeah, I hope so. Loved the information you shared with me prior to our conversation today. And really the focus is a huge shift that happened in your life when you and your father made a decision to start a business to fund missionaries in faith, which you launched in January of 2018. And the greatest takeaway and impact of your life has been understanding and embracing total dependence upon the Lord to make it through, not partial dependence. First, what I'd love for you to do, Chris, is share a bit of your backstory, where you grew up and how you came to faith, and then we'll shift into this experience you had making this decision to fund missionaries through business. So I grew up in a small town in East Texas, about an hour south of Dallas. When I was growing up, we didn't go to church. My father would have claimed that he was a believer. My mother would have said the same, but we were not in church. It was maybe eight or nine, and my sister was invited by a friend of hers to go to church, and I decided to start going with her. And in time, my entire family went to church, and as my parents rediscovered the Lord, found real faith, our life changed pretty drastically. My dad sold his business at the time. We moved out of our dream house, left all of the swimming pools and all the things behind, the, the things I remember as a kid loving, moved into this little apartment that my dad owned. Dad became a youth minister. But I'll never forget the night that I heard the Lord's voice for the first time. They were telling the the parable of the talents and the parable of the lost coin. And I just knew that, that God was seeking me. And I knew that it had a call on me and that life would never be the same again. I was 10 uh, when that happened. And fast forward years later, and here we are, we're, we're living in Dallas. And I heard the voice of the Lord again. I'd been married for actually several years by that point and knew that God was calling us somewhere else, but I had no idea how to get there. Let me circle back on that experience as a 10-year-old. What was it that the Lord emblazoned on your heart when you heard that? What was your takeaway? Do you recall? I do. Actually, I I remember that night in such detail. I remember what clothes I was wearing. I remember that it was cold in the building. I remember the carpet and the floor. And I remember most of all that the Lord was telling me that I was precious to Him. The Lord was telling me that he had purpose for my life and there was a plan and that I wasn't just going to live out my life trying to make myself happy. There was something else in store for him uh, and for me. And that was real. It wasn't some general thought. (laughs) So how did that inform what you did between that age and then now? From that moment forward, I've taken many of the spiritual gift tests. I know that I have the gift of faith. And how I feel that that lives out in my life is when I hear the Lord, I I tend to believe Him. So that night when I heard the Lord, I didn't rethink it later. I didn't go through that teenage years of running off and and trying to run from God. I believed Him. I I believed what He said. And I believed that there was something different. I, I believed that He had the power to change the things that I encountered in my life. And it didn't help that my dad had become a youth minister. And we went from making a lot of money to making youth minister pay, especially 1990s youth minister pay. So as a family, we had to trust the Lord. We had to. We had no other option. My dad's philosophy of ministry was that we ministered together as a family. He wasn't the minister. We were. So all through my growing up years, I I knew and I trusted and I believed that God would do things. 
so our family, we saw things happen. We saw God provide for us in ways that there's just no explanation for. So as I grew older, as I grew into my my later teenage years, I knew that God had a purpose. I knew he had a plan. It was interesting that plan never lined up with all my other friends' plans. It never lined up with what I thought my path would be. It never lined up with how I planned my life to be. When I met my wife, we actually met in the eighth grade, but we were in college when we kind of met up again. We were both interns for a church. And I just knew, I, I knew that she was my wife. I knew that she was going to be the one that I married. And as we took that step together, we had plans. We had all of the things that we were going to do together. And of course, all that changed two months into our marriage when we found out we were pregnant with our first child. <laughs> and so from that moment forward, my life has never really looked normal. <laughs> I'm really thankful my life's not normal because that's not who I am. I, I've always needed adventure. I've always needed something because, again, going back to that 10-year-old hearing from the Lord that he had a plan for my life, that he had something special in store for me. Normal things just never worked. They, they never made me happy. As much as I tried, uh, they never made me happy. They never fulfilled me. So let me dig into that word normal. How would you define normal life and then compare it to what you were experiencing? Do you have a few examples? I sure do. For instance, my family was in concrete business. We were in construction business. We were living in Dallas throughout 2000 six through 2008. In those times when I knew things were bad, I knew things were coming. We could see the writing on the wall. The The normal thing would have been to take what was ours and run. We, we didn't do that. We tried to work it out. We tried to stick with it. But the logical step would have been to go find something in the experience field that I had to you know provide for my family, to buckle down, to work hard. And I did buckle down and work hard, but I became a musician because yeah, that made sense. So wait, let me pause. Uh, let me pause. Yeah. You were in concrete with your family, right? Family yes. business. Yes. What was your role there? What was your expertise? I was our estimator and I developed our quality control department. So I was in charge of setting the uh, material budgets for every job we did and then making sure that the field hit those material budgets. But then you're like, economy's crashing and you're going to become a musician. Yeah. Made perfect sense, right? Perfect sound thinking. Exactly. But the Lord opened doors. You know, we were this little no-name Christian band, and God opened doors for us that should have never been opened. Incredible things happened, and, you know, we signed to record labels and did that deal. And But I knew that God was still telling me something else the whole time. And mm. it seemed right. It seemed like the, well, things are working, things are moving, and this is a Christian band. Through that, I felt the Lord's call again to do something different. So I remember one night, we were starting to open with a band who actually won a Grammy, Christian band with a Grammy. It's not exactly, or at least it wasn't, at that time wasn't common. But instead, we canceled. We went to go play a coffee shop show with a little band called The Glorious Unseen. They're a worship band out of IHOP in Kansas City. Yeah, Kansas City. And that night, it was like the Spirit of the Lord came down. It was still, maybe to this day, one of the most profound experiences I've ever had. And I knew that night God said, do something different. Let me circle back for you made that decision to become a full-time musician yep. instead of staying in the concrete business. Tell me what process you went through to make that decision. I was leading worship at church, and I just knew that my heart was I wanted to be near the Lord. And so I saw an opportunity to take that passion and become full-time with it, to take that opportunity and do something different. And so we did. My wife and I, we prayed about it. And as I took that role, as I'm sure you can imagine, there is no money in that world to find really just a sustainable living there. And so as I did that, my wife's photography business took off. And so we did that together. We were able to somehow schedule around 
my chaotic and traveling schedule along with hers. And we made a living together, even though it seemed so far-fetched. It just didn't seem normal. What's interesting to me about that, Chris, is you and your wife had a yes, and that's what you wanted to give the Lord was your yes. And then all of a sudden, I put this in air quotes, right? All of a sudden, her photography business takes off. Yeah. We cannot possibly fathom the obtuse angles in which God is going to take care of things, can we? No. You know, the the next part of the story, I, I think, is maybe my favorite. So we're living in downtown Dallas. That was our dream. You know, coming from a small town, we always wanted to live in the big city, right? And I knew that God was telling us, this a couple of years had elapsed, and I, I knew that God was telling us to move again. And I wanted to avoid it at all costs because I loved where I was at. So finally, one night, it was probably 3 a.m., I'm talking to my wife and I tell her, I think God is telling us to move, but I don't want to. I've been avoiding it. And so she tells me, yeah, I, I think the same thing. I think God's telling us to move. And I said, and I think I know where he's telling us to go to. So she said, where? And I said, I think he's telling us to move back to our hometown. And she agreed. She said, yeah, I think so too. And so as we explored that, the next morning I called my dad and I told him, and he had told me that they felt like the Lord had just told them to move to Austin. And so they were trying to figure out something to do with their house. Again, small town. And this house had been in our family for generations. It's an old, old house. And so we saw that as the, the opportunity that the Lord had prepared for us was as my parents were leaving, we had a place to go in the city we felt we were supposed to be at. So we moved back to Ennis, Texas. The amazing part was what we didn't know is that our lease at the time we were subletting, that lease, we had to have a 45-day exit. And we were one day away from having to be stuck into a, a lease for another year. And so that was the Lord's insistence that if we didn't do something then, that particular day, uh, I don't know what God would have done, but it wouldn't have been this. Wow. So as we were obedient, as we said yes, as we, uh, I mean, again, immediately started make, making plans and we jumped at just the right time. We had been living in Ennis for one week and I get a call from one of my old bandmates and says, hey, a guy I know just called me and said that, the Lord told him to start a small group in Ennis, Texas, but I don't know anybody in Ennis, but I know you. And so that started kind of the the beginnings of a home church that we accidentally started, didn't intend to. But from that, about a year or so into that, we took our group down to Austin. And we were in Austin uh, when all the fires were happening. So this would have been 2011, I believe. And we sat across from the, the dried up lake and watched a family's house burn with the ashes of their house falling on us. And then we realized that we're standing next to this family watching their house burn as they're, I mean, they're weeping. And God broke my heart for the city. And I, I knew that he had called me to Austin. So again, I turned to my wife and I said, hey, I, I think we're supposed to be here. I think we're supposed to move here. And so as we were trying to figure out what that looked like, we found out we're pregnant with our third child. And so we, we ended up waiting. We didn't move right away. We waited for the child to be born. The whole time, anticipation is building anticipation. I knew we were supposed to be in Austin. I just didn't know how. Was this something your wife shared with you as well? Not at first. This actually took a little bit. As we prayed all throughout the pregnancy for God to kind of reveal to us. And when, when she had told me she wasn't sure, I, I stopped pushing, but I just prayed. And then I remember one night, it was after, after Bible study, and we were getting ready for bed, and she said, I think you're right. And so I said, wait, sorry, what was that? <laughs> you know, can, can you say it again? It was the joke. And she said, no, I, I think you're right. I think we're supposed to be in Austin. And so I remember just shouting for joy, and I was like, yes. But she said, I, I want to wait until this baby's born. And she'd always had complications throughout every pregnancy. And so we waited. 
our third son was born and he was maybe two months old and I, I just couldn't take it anymore. And so I remember one day I looked at her and I said, Hey, do you want to do something crazy? And she said, well, crazy like what? I said, what if we just take all of our clothes and we put it in the back of the car and we just drive to Austin and see what God does? <laughs> I, I didn't have like a firm yes. And I think that's kind of how it's always been. But I, I just knew so strongly we were supposed to be there that something would work. And so she said, yes. So we did it. We packed our bags. We put the clothes in the back of the car. I mean, not even in a suitcase. We just took all of our hangings and laid it down in the back of the car. And so with three kids, we drove to Austin, Texas. My parents were in the Austin area. They were working for a, like a summer youth camp, kind of on the far west side of town. And so they let us stay in a dorm room. And I, I was just so certain that we wouldn't be there long. I had connections in Austin from playing music. And so I went to every one of those. And some of them I thought were really going to pan out, but every single one dried up. Every single one didn't pan out. So after six weeks of living in a dorm room with uh, a two-month-old and two young kids, oh man, I, I thought I had failed. Nothing was working. Nothing panned out. And I, I even remember saying to God one night, God, I, I guess I, I didn't hear correctly. And so we decided, okay, we're going to leave. We're going to go back. We're going to go back to the house. We were out of money. We were out of everything. Before we left, the guy who was the production director for the camp left right before summer and they had no one to fill the spot. And so I was there. I had all this experience in that industry, in that world, playing music. And I, I learned how to run sound. I learned about lighting. I learned just enough to get my foot in the door. So I went to the executive director. I was like, I, I know how to do this. I can figure this out. And they were reluctant at first, but ultimately I was the only one who was there. And so I got the job. So instead of moving back to Ennis, we moved into an actual permanent house at the camp. Wow. Yeah. So then fast forward to 2017, both you and your father felt like the Lord was calling you to start a business to fund missionaries. What happened there? You know, again, it was a similar kind of thing. It was out of our passion. It wasn't some grand plan. We talked about possibilities for months. We would kind of come up with a business idea, sketch through some numbers, scratch it off list. Didn't fit. Couldn't work. You name it. There were reasons we scratched it off until finally one night my dad and I, we were talking and, and I believe actually we were kind of walking out on the property. It was this beautiful property. And he was talking about his call. The Lord had told him that he was the builder of foundations for families and for people. And as we were dreaming about what that would look like, and, and I remember I said that I wanted to build things that help people. That was really what I... I really wanted my life to be about. And so from there, he said, well, what if we build a house and sell the house? I said, absolutely not. I told God I wouldn't do that again. I was done with construction. I didn't want to go back. So a few days go by and God is just really pressing on my heart. And I came back to him and said, you know what? I think you're right. I think we're supposed to build a house. And again, we lost everything in 2008. We had no money. We had no ability. We had no credit. My dad had been working on his credit. I'd been working on mine. But again, going through bankruptcies and everything else. It just seemed like an impossible task, but we pushed anyway. And it was the, the passion that led us down the road, the passion of what could we do? God, how can we be a part of what you're doing? And as we saw the need, we knew somebody had to. And so had no idea. We just pushed ahead. And then as we stepped, it just seemed like the door started opening in ways that, again, almost not believable. You and your father make this decision. You build a house, Right. We were going to build a house. Our missionaries, we didn't really tell them much of what we were doing. We didn't want to disappoint them, but we told them some. So as we were telling them, 
that became really interested in the idea and asked, how can they help? And we said, well, we have no idea how you can help. They said, well, we have a 401k. Can you use that? And that's kind of how we had used ours. We had rolled our 401ks into a uh, specific type and, and used that to move forward with. And so we said, well, yeah, actually, you can use that. We know how to do that. Well, it turns out they thought they had 50000 They had 150000 Oops. Yeah, oops. And so we actually did a fourplex first, uh, a small apartment building, not a single house. And so it changed the trajectory of what was possible in, in a way that never saw coming. Didn't even know. You build this fourplex, Chris, and what happened next? Our, our assumption was we would build one or two. The whole goal was to was to hopefully keep a few of them and use the income to support the missionaries monthly. But that's not how it worked out, at least not initially. One became two, and two became four, and four became how it goes from there. And we're 47 later. Wait, wait, 47 fourplexes later? It's a combination. Some are fourplexes, some are duplexes, but... But yeah, 47 later. What was driving all the construction? Everyone's saying, oh, I heard you guys are doing this. Can you build one? Or what did that look like? Well, no, that that's actually, I think, part of the miracle. We've never done it that way. We've never had somebody come to us and say, here, build this for us. God has always brought land. And I remember we were still in the middle of the first project. We weren't done yet. And God brought to us acreage. And at the time, we felt it was kind of the high mark of a price. And in fact, when we bought it, it was the most expensive acreage sold at the time in this specific area. But what the Lord did through that, he actually slowed us down. We, we couldn't actually develop that first. But as more and more land started coming, we were sitting on a mountain of land. I forget how much that we had at one point. This was in late 2019, walking into 2020. And then when COVID hit, we had no idea what was going to happen. In fact, we didn't know if we were going to continue. But what happened is all of our land doubled and quadrupled in value. I mean, some of these lots we were buying for $10,000 a lot became $100,000 lots. And at one point we had 30 of them. And so it's just this radical thing that happened. I'm not smart enough. I I can't see the future. I have no clue. It was just as we kept saying yes, God kept doing things that only God could do. How was God bringing that land to you? It was a number of different ways. Some of it, we just happened to see a sign or we knew this part was for sale at one point in time. So as we would go explore that, we would find the owner. And some of it was our uh, real estate agent. She actually wasn't a real estate agent, but felt like God told her to become a real estate agent, became a real estate agent, passed, approached us, said, I want to be your real estate agent. And so we did. We partnered with her. She found all these lots that were about to go up for tax auctions. So what we decided to do, we went to the families and said, hey, listen, you're going to lose your land. Let us pay the taxes. We also want to bless you. We're going to pay you for the lots. And so that way, one, you avoid all of this nightmare, but then you actually get something to walk away with. And so that's how a ton of them happen. And this is a period of time where no one else is finding tax lots. I mean, there's such an industry for that. Yeah. And that's what you see advertisements on YouTube and everything else. That market is is sold out. Like That never happens. And all of these things came our way, or some of it was a different real estate agents or different builders would just say, hey, I don't want to develop this. Do you want it? And they would give us old pricing. So we buy things at old pricing. That's incredible, Chris. What was your consistent prayer during this time when you started building and then you started getting all this acreage? What were you asking God? My prayer every morning was, God, I just want to please you. God, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm in over my head. And God, I just want to please you. I think that was it. You didn't sit down and write this 10-year plan. No. I say that on purpose 
right? It was literally the breadcrumb leading of the Lord every day. Yes, early on, it was very much so breadcrumb to breadcrumb. God led us along the way. But again, at some point, as we had vision for what God laid out and we could see the possibilities, I still didn't know which one was the right way. I would call them very soft plans. Okay, God, you might do this. And if you do this, well, then we would try that. And so we would kind of have like a vein, but it was still up to the Lord to see which vein worked, which one actually struck. And so once we got all the lots, then we figured out what to do with them. We didn't know what we were doing first. Once the land came, we figured out what to do with it after that, not before. And then some of the things that at the time that we thought were bad or negative, just the, the amount of time that we spent in engineering for some of these things or the amount of time we spent negotiating with the city for what they wanted, they slowed us down. But those things served really to kind of set us up for where we are now. If some of those things had happened too fast, we wouldn't have been ready. We, we couldn't have been ready. Yeah. You shared prior to this conversation that part of the experience you had was actually doing underground utility work, which was by necessity, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You wound up getting into that business and now you're a leading provider of that service. Yeah, we weren't looking for it. I personally had never done it. My dad had experience in it, but I had never even been around that side of construction. And yeah, one day I get a call from a guy who that's what he does, but he needed a business partner. He had all the qualifications. He had the licensing, but he needed a business partner. And so as he called on a Friday, he said, do you want to meet on Monday? He said, absolutely, I do. Never intending for it to work out the way that it is. But yeah, that actually has dwarfed our construction business. Our residential construction business is second to that business. Incredible. So now, 2023, how many buildings have you built since 2017? We've finished 47 and we're about to finish nine more. And are all of these oriented to the missionary focus? They're oriented towards investment. And so we're looking for investors that are faith-based investors. We want people who understand what we do and have a heart for what we do. So for our missionaries, one, they've gained a lot of equity, but also they've gained a lot of support. And really, we're not trying to support their whole ministry. That's the part of the church. And so that's not my role, but my role I feel is to support them and their family. So we support their family so they don't have to leave. They, they're no longer focused on do we stay or go. Their focus is on their mission. Their focus is on why they're there and on meeting the needs of people. And then they raise funds, but they raise funds for the projects and the things that they have going on. Mm -hmm. It's no longer about uh, the safety or the longevity of, of their stay. Over the years now, the past four or five years, as this has grown and exploded and God has continued to bring things in and you've continued to say yes, what type of questions are you getting from people observing this growth? How are you doing it? <laughs> That's probably the most common one. And, and how from a lot of different angles. Some people want to know, how are we doing it from a time management perspective or you know, an emotional perspective. Some want to know how are we doing it from a money perspective. And what do you say? Really, the only thing we can say is it's the Lord. They look at you and say, yeah, right. Well, yeah, they do. We get a lot of different people from a lot of different places mm -hmm. that come ask questions. Some of them come in as investors. And, and again, they just want to know how. How does this work? And then once they know the how, then as they're starting to answer the why, again, we're specifically looking for people who understand, who can participate with us in our mission and in our vision and in the, the goal of supporting missions and missionaries. And so once that component connects with people, really a lot of the questions kind of go away. And obviously the why was set back in 2017 with mm -hmm, supporting was. missionaries and bringing equity into their lives. So they've got mm -hmm. something when they come back off the mission field eventually, right? 
Mm-hmm. What has God put on your heart going forward? What are you seeing right now? I'm just curious. Yeah. The world is always an unknown place, always a, a scary place, particularly this moment in time to be in construction and to be in residential construction. And so we feel like God has put on us that we're to be the stability. I mean, we're not to freak out and worry. We're to be informed. My dad and I joke that we're armchair economists. We're always looking ahead (laughs) and taking guesses at where things are going. The doom and the gloom, the scary stuff, it's not supposed to influence our steps. It's not supposed to influence what we do. And so as we trust in his security and Just the other day, the Lord took me to Isaiah and says, don't even remember the old things. I'm doing a new thing. And as he's telling me not to become nervous and afraid, because I lived through a wait. We went through that. If it could be lost, we lost it. If it it could go away, it went away. But that's not what God is doing now. That's not what God is doing with us. And to be obedient, to be faithful, and to be smart. And so that's what we're hearing. And we're seeing the future to know that, yes, the news says the future is terrifying. Yes, some of the numbers say that the future is terrifying, but we know that our God is good, and we know that our God's vision for us is not a vision to to waste away and to die. It's a vision to grow. It's a vision to trust Him even more tomorrow than we did today. I think of that scripture, Chris, in Hebrews, I believe it's chapter 10, where the Lord says, my spirit does not take pleasure in someone who shrinks back, yeah. but who steps into faith. And that's really what you're saying, isn't it? Yes. How can people find out more about your company? Well, we do have a website, Construction, but we also have a, a nonprofit that we run as well called Humanities Friend. Uh, I believe that's humanitiesfriend.org. We're still building that website, and then we have a, a kind of a few other things that are attached to us as well. But Healing Honduras is our group of missionaries that we support in Honduras. There you can kind of see uh, what's happening with our missionaries. Okay. Well, as we finish, I'd love to have you pray for our listeners, please, Chris. God, I thank you so much for that you are God and I don't have to be. God, that you are the one who orchestrates and you are the one who designs and engineers. God, that all that we have to do is just say yes and all we have to do is step. So, God, I pray that today that we as your children would trust you. God, that we would trust you in a way that's different. God, that we would trust you in the way that Moses trusted, the way that Abraham trusted, the way that David trusted, or the way that the disciples trusted, the way that Jesus trusted you when he was here. Lord, I pray that you would put that same desire in our hearts, God, to trust and to do crazy things. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless us with your spirit, God, that you would fill us with your words and your actions and your ideas. And God, give us the faith to say yes. I'm going to ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Chris, thank you so much. Loved your story. Thanks, Brian. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.